This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Happy Thursday, everybody. Hope you guys are winding the week down, feeling good, taking care of yourselves. That's what it's all about. (laughs) Tough times, and I know we're not really sure when the end is in sight. We got earthquakes, fires, depending on where you live, but we got that out here in California. In addition to the social justice movement, we got the election coming, and we're in a pandemic. And then on top of that, we're all just trying to live our general lives, trying to get get through it all. Kids at home going to school, maybe multiple kids at home going to school while you're at home trying to work or leaving the home. Oh man, we got people coming and going. It's a rough time. And, you know, I wanted to just start the show by discussing this whole topic of the frustration that some people are feeling, uh, maintaining social distancing while they're seeing others not doing that. And it's a personal thing I'm struggling with as well. I am seeing people that I know that are living their lives as though the pandemic's not happening. And unfortunately, that's something we can't be doing. That's that's really risky for them and others. But for those that are feeling frustrated because they're following the rules and they're looking out for themselves and others, and they're really trying to ground themselves in compassion and mental health, look, we're doing the best we can, and I know it's taking a toll, and you're seeing others living their lives. And I, I was talking to friends about this, and it was like these moments where I know that I'm doing the right thing, but I had to check in on them and say, am I missing something? <laughs> did something get announced in the news or did a vaccine come out? Because I'm seeing friends traveling and partying and congregating and no masks wearing and no distance taken. And it's just this idea of like, wow, um, I, I, you know, it's a health, it's an unhealthy level of denial. I'm all about healthy levels of denial, healthy levels of dissociation, healthy levels of compartmentalization, healthy levels of, you know, suspending reality, because that's how we get through the day, right? We do it in all sorts of ways. Like sure. An asteroid could come crashing through my roof right now. Kill me. I have to suspend the idea that that could happen. Every time I get behind the wheel of my car, the possibility of someone else's driving, injuring me or others, I have to suspend that reality. Right. But certain ones, we shouldn't be doing that around. Ones that are actually a more proximate risk and things like not following social distancing and not wearing a mask. So, you know, again, people are still losing their minds, uh, but I'm supporting those that are following the rules and I'm supporting those that are holding others in their lives that they have encounters with accountable to also following the rules because they don't want to be, you know, set up at a risk. But just want to hold space for those that are frustrated. I've felt that as well. That's very hard. Also wanted to call it something else in the news related to the Loveline topics, and that's addiction based. And Dax Shepard, he's an actor. I'm not 100% familiar with his work, but I know his wife, Kristen Bell, awesome human being. Um, And he revealed that after 16 years of sobriety from opiates, he recently relapsed. Now, here's a difficult to understand answer. Uh, That's expected. In the stages of change, relapse is built in. It's an expected thing that's going to happen. Now, when we talk about the expectation of relapse, we don't mean we're giving permission, but we are normalizing. And I'm holding compassion for that. And I expect it. So when it happens, I go, yep, that's part of a lot of people's journeys. Because remember, it's not about being perfect. 
And that's why some people will engage in sobriety that isn't as clean or pure as other people think it should be, but it's about being happy. It's about being healthy. It's about being sustainable and you need to do what you need to do. And for some people, relapse is part of that. Now, relapse doesn't always mean it's a full-blown return to use. Relapse can be smaller versions. It can be gray areas, all sorts of things, right? But that's part of the stages of change. You know, not everyone's ready to take action. Some people are in the contemplation stage and they're thinking about sobriety or some other behavioral change. Then some people take action and it happens. And relapse is, again, built in. And it's built into the model as a sidestep because it's not going backwards. Listen, contrary to popular belief, you do retain everything you built up. Uh, relapse just means you stepped off to the side. And so you aren't going back to zero. You aren't starting over. And for some people that are in a 12-step model, because again, remember sobriety and addiction is not 12-step based. That's one way that some people tend to see it or work with it. Um, they're all about counting days. And so in that way, you have to start over. And that's what prevents some people from acknowledging or talking out about a relapse is they've built this length of time and they're shame and guilt in losing that or starting over. And that's why I don't count days with people I work with. I'm just working with them on being healthy and happy. Just like if someone is working on improving the way they show up as a partner in their relationship, if they say, yeah, I had a rough week and I wasn't my best self, I don't go, oh man, we're starting over. I go, well, yeah, that happens. Part of change is not, you know, you make that change and then for the rest of your life, that change is in place, right? So yeah, that happens. And I hope he's taking care of himself. I hope he has no guilt and shame about it. And just, you know, get back on the horse. You don't have to count days. Don't worry about how long you've been sober. Sobriety is going to have a different meaning and value for everyone. I just want people to be healthy, happy, and living the lives that make sense to them. So whatever that means. Um, so, you know, congrats, uh, Dax, on coming forward, getting the help you need, and I'm really proud of you. And also, I just wanted to kind of throw this out there. Check this out. There's a town in New York, and the name of the town was Swastika. Mind-boggled. And uh, guess what? They voted, and uh, they're going to keep that name. Imagine living or having your address, your mailing address, being the town of Swastika. And when your friends and family members are sending you a gift, maybe a Christmas card, holiday card, they're sending it to Swastika, New York. God bless it. I, I, I couldn't do that. I'm trying to understand the reasoning as to why they want to keep it. Obviously, the Swastika has a problematic history tied to it. God bless. Uh, all right. We got a great show planned for you. Lots of experts talking about a lot of stuff about the mental health impact uh, intersections of COVID as well. Question of the night, as always, is up on our Loveline IG page. So weigh in on that. And of course, slide on into those DMs. And please, please, y'all, if you haven't already, register to vote. Check in on those you know, ask them if they have, and text that link around. It takes moments. It's no big deal. All right, y'all, you are listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back, and now we're going to go to our next guest, Aluna, whose new debut album, Renaissance, has dropped. Welcome to the show. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. How, how is your mental health right now through everything that's going on? You know, it's it doesn't have any kind of consistency, um, you know, with each new crazy that gets introduced, there's all this kind of fanfare and like cerebral activity, like, oh my God, what does this mean? And then there's these like, these dips where everything is blah. And you're like, um, okay, there's no escape from this. I have no way to escape from this. I will just go in a different room to my house. <laughs> and that's that's kind of the way we got to play it these days. You know, I'm still doing uh, my clinical practice, but doing telemedicine. And I'm kind of explaining that to people. They're saying, why is it that I can't count on a certain mood? And if I wake up feeling one way, I can almost promise I'll be feeling a different way. And it's like, it's kind of just what's going on right now, right? Yeah. And I think that um, it's a huge learning curve for anyone who hasn't spent how many months <laughs> indoors? 
uh like which is you know a lot of people so it's a whole, it's like how do you navigate that space well let's talk about that so uh, what impact do you think the current times and the self-isolation has had on the creation of your music Hmm. Well, I was very lucky because um, the initial kind of COVID time coincided with like mixing and mastering. So it was and that was a huge learning curve for me to to really sit down and listen to every single sound and decide how it needs to be tweaked just a tiny bit on the harmonic scale to sound exactly how you want it to and th that's so important it could be it could mean a song just you don't no one understands it or it brings it completely to life and having the time during covid um was has kind of made things like that come into focus and get much much more attention uh, and i really really appreciated that um as for like the getting out of your head going crazy coming up with new fantastical ideas out of the atmosphere that is not easy and I was actually just thinking today um what sort of older uh, original practices do I have for my inspiration and creativity that I can pull out the back and I've started doing that which is really really helping and what what are some of those? Because I think one of the things that's been interesting to me is asking people what new or surprising forms of like coping or self-care have emerged during this time that kind of surprised people. But let's talk about the professional creativity component of that. So what have you been going back to? One of the fundamental parts of my songwriting practice is the stream of consciousness writing. They're called morning pages. And I think I got this from The Artist's Way, which is a pretty um, common yeah. well-known book um, and I love that because it always surprises me so I'll start writing and I'll I'll kind of get a little exhaustion period after the first paragraph and I'll let myself take a moment and then just carry on and it's it's interesting how you can kind of almost mold your mind in these different directions you can be like okay mind um, go crazy or okay mind like go super negative or like okay mind now that we've done all those things just go completely loopy and <laughs> <laughs> you know at the end of that you throw it all away it feels really good and then you can start writing. <laughs> I like starting the day that way because I think often we don't realize that whatever we first immerse ourselves in when we start the day could kind of really be taken forward and people jump right on their phones and you don't know what kind of drama or negativity you're going to encounter. So I love that you're holding the space. It's an honest moment you're writing. Um, so something you said, and this was actually a really funny moment. So I was listening to your music and I was at home and I was doing my thing because, you know, I, uh, get paid and warrior right now are on repeat in my home. Okay. And I read the quote that you said, your music is designed to have the same effect at home as it does on a dance floor. And I had that moment where I was like, this is true. Cause I was sitting there like dancing around reading articles about you. Oh, that's yeah. Cause that's interesting. Cause you know, you obviously don't write a piece of music in the club. Right. And when I was writing, I was, I was trying to create a certain energy for myself. I was pregnant at the time and um, I needed to feel invincible and free and myself and grounded in, in the kind of almost tribal earthiness of, of my sort of power, my female power and, trying to 
keep myself on a mental state that was uplifting and um, fearless because being becoming a mom is like terrifying. Becoming a mom whilst holding down a full-time career, terrifying. All of these things point to being a superwoman. Like I don't even have like a huge amount of family around me. And so I needed the music to do what it did to me when I was little, which is transport me and take me to a place where everything is like not only okay, but just like very out of this world. We'll be right back with Aluna to talk more about the impact of mental health and music. All right, we're back. And now we're going to go to our next guest, Aluna, whose new debut album, Renaissance, has dropped. So how do you manage motherhood, COVID, and a career? Well, it's, I mean, I was writing that down in my morning pages this morning. I'm not, you're not supposed to share your morning pages. Um, no one's listening. And it's just hundreds no, of thousands of, of people. Throw that away. <laughs> it, 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 I mean, I was literally like, like writing, like, how am I supposed to do this? And... Um, I actually just get so much help. I get so much help. I delegate as many things that aren't my direct kind of expertise out as I can, including supporting me. <laughs> I'm not really qualified to support myself because I am already me and completely nuts. So I go against the first instinct to sort of battle through something and I just go, <laughs> help. Um, and I've learned that over you know, trying to set goals that are completely unbelievable and then, you know, you try and make them work. And of course you need help. Collaboration is key. Um, explaining unapologetically that you can't do it is uh, is very important to communicate to someone how they can help you um, and getting used to it. And, and it's not and just getting used to the sensation of like thinking like, am I work, am I a weak person? Should I be doing this by, by yourself? And then feeling that like moment when someone actually does help you and you're like, hell no. <laughs> Why would I do this by myself? That's crazy. That's boring and also self-indulgent. And, and it's such, I, I know I, you're from the UK, but in America, it's such an American value to try to do everything on your own, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And I'm always trying to say, we can also think more community-based. We can think more of a collective, like let's move more towards that. So I, I like that you're inherently allowing that. That's good. Yeah. And um, I know that people struggle with asking for help. Yeah. And um, sometimes if you want to get better at it, you can find someone you know who is also bad at asking for help and watch them and notice when you think that they need help. I like and you'll that. start to learn about what it is that you do. And like you just if you break through their thing of not being able to ask you for help from a place of understanding, then there's all sorts of learning going on. So I've been doing that with like other new mums, for example, and I'll be like, you need me. And then you just wait. <laughs> <laughs> and then they'll be like, no, I need you right now. I'm like, I'm coming, darling. I was already ready with my bag. <laughs> That's beautiful. Um, so I have a question I've been, I've been dying to ask someone who understands two different markets. And it, it kind of ties into something else you were saying about your music. So, you know, your music is very much a hybrid um, it, it doesn't, as you claimed, meet mainstream expectations. And, and I think that's why people love your music. So is there really such a huge difference between UK dance music and American dance music? Because I know that sometimes I found out they've released tracks only in one country and not in the other. 
Ah, yes. But in around the world, the genre of dance music, mainstream dance music, is very narrow compared to the dance music that's out there. So, for example, in the UK, there's lots of different types of dance music that over the years have kind of fallen by the wayside because they were never categorized as mainstream dance music, like drum and bass, like um, grime is like categorized as hip hop, but it's actually kind of dance music. Um, House and Garage never really crossed over to America. Um, but then American, well, dance music, house music techno was created in Chicago and Detroit, then came over to Europe and since then has been completely forgotten uh, in terms of its roots. So then you have the whole kind of European idea of dance music that's sort of classified as white music. Um, and so there's there's it's it's fascinating I just was kind of like when I was really starting to look at like why it's such a challenge to navigate uh dance music as a black person I was like what's going on you know you've got people saying this type of dance music is not influenced by that type of music dance music and it's like uh, I don't really understand it's it, it's all very segregated and um so there's there is a big difference um I think that in a, in the U.S. EDM kind of became the main association with dance music. And then in Europe, you had people kind of held on to the classics, house and techno uh, and things like that. And um, so a lot of American artists who want to make that type of music will go and tour in Europe. And then Europeans will deny that <laughs> dance music was created in America. It's it's very fun. Wonderful. What a world. What a world. Um, and uh, then quickly, before we let you go, um, what are your thoughts about returning to live shows and performance? How how safe do you feel about that? How do you think it might be different? What do, what do you think is going to be new? Well, I have high expectations for the live show circuit. Uh, not to not about health and safety because that is pretty much um, a given. We're going to do everything we can to make it health and healthy and safe um, within our knowledge and power. But um, I'm looking for more diversity um, and sort of racial unity in the festival lineups and in the supporting of the festival goers um, and on digital streaming platforms where it's kind of, you know, the, the, the live show uh, play sort of curators are looking to the playlists um, to find out what people are going to enjoy when they go to these festivals. So um, I'm doing lots of kind of behind the scenes work and I've got high hopes. And there's a lot of work to do because these are systems in place that are racially segregated. So it's about education. Then it's about working out what solutions will work and what won't work. And then it's about trying things. And it, so it's a lot of action there's a lot of action to be taken there's no there's nothing passive about it you there's there's no there's no win just saying like yeah no I totally agree with you that it would be a great idea it's like no you actually have to do something because things have been the same way for a very very long time and virtually set in stone to the point of you know you know if we decide that actually dance music mainstream dance music should encompass afrobeats and dance hall like how do we do that in the technical back end of things and how do we do that with the mental shift of like how do we embrace new things into a genre that seems so clearly defined 
Well said. Well said. I'm looking forward to all the necessary changes. I, you know, more to come. Thank you so much, Aluna. Coming up next, we'll be sliding into those DMs. All right, y'all, we're back. Time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Sliding the DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sex world. We want you to explore with confidence. Our DMs, always confidential. If you want to be an anonymous, slide into those DMs. A lot of people have a lot of questions, and people that are listening might have the same question. So, you know, drop it in there when in doubt. No question is too small or basic. This one says, hey, Dr. Chris, honestly, what are the chances of this world going back to how things were pre-pandemic? I feel like I'm so anxious all the time. I don't want to meet people, but I'm single, so I need to meet people. <laughs> I just don't want to be scared all the time. Uh, things won't go back to how they were. It, it doesn't really work that way, right? There's never any complete, clear, clean return to something. It'll be a new, different way of being. In some ways, I'm glad for that. The way things were going before were a mess. I, I, I didn't think that we were operating from our best. I don't think that we were living our fullest. I think we were working too hard and burning ourselves out, over relying on you know faulty forms of coping and not really taking care of ourselves and others. And so I hope what we learn from this is more collective care and compassion. What I hope we learn from this is more self-care. What I hope we learn from this and move forward and that's different is we focus more on rest, pleasure, and self-care and less on consuming and buying and spending and, and our careers. Go back to basics. That's what I've done. I've really real, wheeled my life back to basics and I'm going to move forward doing so. I, I, I had this experience recently where I had to go to a, um, an event, distanced, masked, and it was the first time I put on actual pants because I've been living in sweatpants. I do therapy in sweatpants. I wear a baseball cap. I'm not participating in respectability politics. I don't need to dress a certain way to do good work and be taken seriously. I'm all about comfort and care. I will continue to do so moving forward, wearing a baseball cap whenever I can, sweatpants. And I put on dress pants. And I was like, nope, not doing it. And I rolled in in sweats. That's me. If you want, you know, you invite me, you invite me. And I roll in the way I roll in. Comfort, care, and pleasure and joy. That's what I'm moving forward doing. I'm saying no to things that feel too complicated or not good or fun to me. And it's not about self-centeredness. Uh, it's more about centering pleasure, care, and joy. Um, you know, So that's what I want to have happen from this. Uh, we're coming out of this really beat up and people are not going to be... like I, I got invited to a couple social things and even though I'm absolutely not doing that because I'm honoring the guidelines, when the world opens up, I don't know how comfortable I'm going to feel going back to that either. I've really started to appreciate solitude and quiet. So things are going to be different. They're never going to be the same. They're always different. There's going to be some benefits and some negatives. We also might have Trump reelected, which is horrific for anyone that's exploited or marginalized. If you're white, cis, hetero, and wealthy, you're probably going to be solid. But the, the rest of the world, the rest of us, not so much. So a lot of more changes to come. We are, we are not through this. Remember, with the social justice stuff and the election, that isn't that that's huge too it's not just about getting out of this pandemic and then we're gonna have to battle the whole anti-vaxxers when a vaccine comes out so i don't know how long it's going to be until we're safe people aren't following the rules now what's going to happen when there's mandatory or necessary vaccines and people aren't willing to do that i don't know and like i was saying before moving forward i want a lot of people wearing masks i want the servers at restaurants to wear masks i now realize how much we're setting ourselves at risk for viruses and bacterial infections in ways we could prevent it so i moving forward won't be shaking hands i don't know where someone's hands been i don't need to do that and won't do that like i'm putting new rules in place for myself and if people want to participate in my life that's how that goes right so i urge you to do the same but listen you don't need to be lonely right now you don't need to be single go online get on those dating apps i'm working with tons of amazing people as patients in my practice that are looking for love right now they're lonely they want to connect i'm in a long distance relationship and we're finding really beautiful ways to learn about each other and to build our relationship while distance so i know it can be done so get on those apps and start dating bring all that extra joy care and support into your life. 
you know it's a little gift you're worth it we don't we don't need to only be sitting in the darkness and the weight of what's happening that's real we're taking that seriously but we're also allowed to try to figure out what are ways we can bring more joy and pleasure into our time right now because that's mental health right grounding ourselves feeling fulfilled having passion and bringing someone new in can afford us that right and you can still go meet them with a mask socially distanced outside right so be glad for that i'm in a long distance relationship i wish i had that kind of access right but right now we're in different countries um not forever but uh you know especially with the election we'll see what happens but you know so take care of yourself slide the dms is brought to you by our friends at trojan condoms because it's a big old sex world we want you to explore it with confidence all right y'all question night is up on our loveline ig page so weigh in on that you are listening to loveline with dr chris on the new channel q and on radio.com All right, now let's go to our next guest, David M. Sholin, LCSW, and the Behavioral Health Services Administrator. How are you? Welcome to the show. I'm doing fine, Dr. Chris. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So let's get into some stuff. I was looking at statistics, always a little daunting and a little dark at times, especially right now. We feel like we got enough on our hands. One of the things that stood out to me was in looking at suicide rates. Suicide rates have increased in the past decade, especially for young adults. What do you make of that? Well, I think some... Recent influences look at how social media and social networking over a course of time has had a greater influence on how we interact with one another. Um, you know, we are social beings, and so our need to connect and to have a, a biological connection with other people is, is salient. Um, and yet we were never really kind of programmed to evolutionarily have this degree of attention on ourselves at all times. So I think that can be really hard to navigate for anybody, but especially if you're a young person and if you're kind of immersed in it. You're surrounded in it. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. You're the first guest that has directly brought up social media. And I think it's one of the most under acknowledged uh, mental health factors that we have right now. I mean, I was sharing that when I put my phone down, it will sometimes tell me how many hours I spent on it, which is yeah. horrifying. But when you look at the the volume of hours, we we have to be looking at how that directly impacts mental health. Yeah. You know, I think it means that we're always plugged in, but we're not always connected. You know, people present a certain ideal of who they want other people to see them as in their social media context. But also, you know, when I was growing up, if I was bullied, I could always go home or I could find my immediate circle, uh, my immediate tribe, and they kind of shielded me from that. But if I'm always plugged in into a world that is primarily anonymous, I can't get away from it. And if I'm feeling that connected to it, that I can't leave it alone, that I'm going to be missing out on something if I don't have it with me. Yeah. And that's why I think we need more social media literacy, right? Because for some, it's a beautiful tool to stay connected, to build community, uh, to not feel so marginalized. But then for others, we kind of doom scroll and we use it against ourselves. So what, what are the factors you zero in on or talk most about when we talk about how to improve mental health? In my early training, one of my clinical supervisors, I think, said it really well. When I, I was working on how do I help work with a client in their goaling, how do I work with a client on, on the pace of treatment regarding that goal? And he said, well, what, how do you get your therapeutic needs met, David? Um, everybody has therapeutic needs. Whether you're in therapy or not, we all have them. And so I began listing off things that I have in my life to be able to help either cope, like um, I was a prolific writer, and so it was a way of being able to process my feelings, to being able to go to people I trusted to seek their opinion or their advice or their support, to then having things that created joy in my life, being able to look at my creative outlets and my hobbies or, or my spirituality. And 
it was those things that completed my life. It was creating life as opposed to reacting to life. So if I were to look at ways of being able to help people feel empowered um, regarding making their life more therapeutically whole, I would look at what are those things in their life that allow them to create life, to feel like they're in the driver's seat where they can still experience joy and connection. Oh, I love that. Create life. But joy and connection, uh, you know, me and you are, are definitely aligned because those are the two factors I keep trying to bring up as well. You know, there's a lot of heavy, dark things happening. We're not trying to deny that, but we're also recognizing that you can find some joy and pleasure amongst all that's going on around us. And in fact, our mental health requires that. So yeah. let's talk a little bit about special populations. Uh, people maybe from the LGBTQIA population, uh, they might not necessarily always feel connected. They might not feel like they have community. What are the mental health needs that we want to really zero in on with those uh, populations? You know, um, I am a gay man and I am now a gay man of a certain age. And so I've I got my history to rely upon in addition to my academia. And I always tell folks, I wish when I was 19 years old, somebody would have pulled me aside and helped me understand Meyer's theory of minority stress, because it would have made complete sense to me and that I wasn't going crazy in my life, that I was experiencing this additional level of stress that I wasn't consciously aware of. Um, one of those things, some of that is on the surface, things that we anticipate like discrimination or prejudice, but other things are a little bit more internal, like the stress of concealment. And what environments do I have to hide who I am who do I have to hide myself from? Am I vigilant towards who understands who I am and who is kind of sizing me up and have they figured me out? That degree of vigilance at all times puts me in a different mode in a different space. The other is anticipated rejection. So if I am going to come out to somebody or if I'm going to identify myself to somebody, there are some folks who aren't going to accept that very well and others who may embrace me. But I have to essentially size that up. I have to make a hypothesis and guess um, at whether or not I'm going to be rejected or not. Like if I'm at the water cooler, do I mention that I went out that weekend with my husband or do I just say I went out that weekend? <laughs> so it's, it's figuring out how other people might react. And the fourth element of that is internalized negative messaging. But I always tell people I wasn't raised as a straight man. I, was ra I wasn't raised as a gay man. I was raised as a straight one. And so all of those dominant cultural messages regarding what it means to be gay, especially that could even be applied generationally or regionally or within one's faith community, you add all of those together and we internalize those. Those become the popular messaging that help define who we are. And if I don't consciously address those, it's like in my own journey, I had to consciously address issues regarding my faith and issues regarding my masculinity before I could accept and fully resolve negative messages regarding being a gay person. So I think it's that same journey, uh, whether you're coming out when you're 12 or whether you're coming out when you're 50, you have to kind of look at those messages and find where you fit in the middle of them and still ascertain a healthy identity of who you are. Wow, beautifully said. And I want to, you know, just put a little pressure on our hetero-identified listeners that, you know, homophobia, transphobia, all these things are created and sustained by you know, the heterosexual world and everyone can play a role in trying to dismantle some of those pressures that you just talked about. Wow, bam, beautifully said. David M. Sholin, thank you so much for being a part of our show. And you can catch more of Aluna and David on I'm Listening, our mental health show that airs every Thursday at 5 p.m. Pacific on radio.com. All right, we're back. Uh, one of the things I wanted to talk about, actually, it's two points. <laughs> kind of disconnected, but I want to bring them both in. Every now and then, a certain topic comes up and it circulates. 
And this one is really sex sex tech based and it's about sex dolls and sex robots. And I love this question because the, the clickbait title is always about, you know, are sex dolls and sex robots going to take over? You know, will people stop being, no, they're not going to take over. Here's the deal. (laughs) Uh, A doll or robot will never be able to provide the experience that a human being does. And I mean that in terms of presence, touch, eye contact, all sorts of things. It's a very different experience to be with an inanimate object, no matter how real it looks. You can feel the difference. Just like we can feel the difference between non-intentional and intentional touch. Think about what it feels like when you're sitting in a crowded airplane with your arm against someone. That is non-intentional touch. That doesn't feel good, comfortable, or soothing, or intimate. But think about it, what it feels like when someone you care about has their hand on your arm. You feel that intention. That's how connected our bodies and minds are. That's how powerful our body is as a communicator and a register, that it can pick up on the difference. And so an inanimate object will never be able to create that kind of presence that a human being does with us. And the things that really build on intimacy and connection and closeness are eye contact and touch. And they can't provide either. Looking into the eyes of a dollar robot will never have the same experience as a human. It's just not the same. And the reason why is they are variables that we can't quantify. We can't weigh them. Presence is something we can't break apart or recreate. Presence is just this this experience. It's a concept, right? But what I do love about the presence of these dolls and robots is it allows for creative, diverse forms of being sexual. Maybe you're in a relationship with someone where you have different sexual interests and a dollar robot would provide for you to explore without your partner if you're monogamous. Um, it also allows for pleasure and sexuality in some form for people that don't have access to a partner for whatever reason. You know, our culture has really horrible attractability and desirability expectations and norms, and not everyone meets those made up criteria that change culture by culture and century by century. But for some people, they don't have direct access. Maybe it's due to a disability. Maybe it's due to live in a very you know rural area and they don't have access to partners, same sex or other sex, whatever it is. And that's why I love the presence of sex workers. That's why I love the presence of sex toys. That's why I like the presence of dolls and sex clubs is that people can go explore their needs. People can sometimes just want to be in the presence of others. Um, it's everyone has a right to have access to pleasure and sexuality in their lives and that affords that. And so I'm glad they exist, but they're not ever going to take away what a partner can provide. Even think about what it's like post-sex. We don't ever in our culture talk about post-sex presence. We ejaculate orgasm and then we go to bed, get up, we think it's done, but there's so much that needs to be done in that aftercare moment. That's a very vulnerable moment and how that's handled both kind of speaks to how a partner feels about us, but it also either further cements that that was a pleasurable experience or it actually can erase some of it by making us feel kind of really lonely and rejected. A doll can't provide anything nourishing after the experience. A doll is objectified, it's used, it's not able to return. So there's no reciprocal pleasure. A person's not gonna feel seen or held. Uh, A doll or a toy is something that's used, right? It can't give back. And so very, 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 very different experience. And so I'm never concerned about these replacement things. But again, like I said, some partners don't have sex lives with their other. Some people are monogamous relationships with people where they have very different sex drive or sexual interests. And I like the presence of porn and sex workers and toys and dolls because we have a right to explore and engage in all that. It's kind of like food. If your partner is a very bland, basic palate and just likes to eat a basic few things and you like, you know, going out and trying new restaurants and cuisines, uh, you find a friend to go do that with. And you say to your partner, great, you stay home unless you want to participate. And if not, I have friends that are in the restaurant scene and we go do those things together. 
matter. I That's how I do it in my relationship. My partner doesn't need to be interested in everything I am and doesn't need to be a part of everything. So I have friends that I go off and do certain things with. We outsource. It's okay. It's very toxic monogamy centric or you know, heterocentric to think your partner, same sex or opposite sex, that they have to provide every need. That's not true. And you actually miss out on <clears throat> the whole idea that we can just love someone for what they can provide and be with them for what they provide and get our other needs met elsewhere is healthy. But some people call things like that emotional cheating. What? Building intimacy with other people? Please, please do a lot of that. We want to have relationships that can handle and tolerate that. Because again, as I always say, the assumption and the caveat <clears throat> is that you're with someone who you can trust. And if you can trust them, all is well. They can be anywhere with anyone because you trust them. And their participation will be one of integrity, value, and love, and all is well in, in, that, in, that, in that moment. So really pressure, pressure yourself to see things that way. The final thing I wanted to kind of just say is about children and diagnoses. I want to remind everyone that right now is not the time to make solid diagnoses about your role with drugs or alcohol, a child's ability to be present in school. Things are difficult. So if your child's having trouble focusing on a screen, sitting still in a chair for hours, please don't go make anything out of that. Please don't make that diagnostic of ADHD or some behavioral disorder. Please, if you're over-relying on something as a form of coping, please don't start to label yourself an addict. It's very contextual. Right now, everything's very situational. It's born out of the moment. It's gonna alleviate itself and change once we're back to our normal lives and we have more space, movement, fluidity, access to fun, other forms of self-care. So just, again, I keep reminding everyone, let, let go. Let the bar drop for you and everyone else. We're given 60%, not 100%. Expectations are low because it's all about getting through this. We don't want to beat ourselves up because we're not being as great, as focused, as productive, as competent, as successful, right? That's not the goal right now. Remember, the goal isn't those things. The goal is, are you staying grounded? Are you resting? Are you healing? Are you finding some pleasure and passion, right? So lots more hobbies. Leave the kids be and go gentle on yourself. I am saying, though, do take note of the coping mechanisms you're choosing and the impact they're having on you. I don't know want us to come out of this with mental health issues and addiction issues, but um, go gently on yourself when you're trying to decide who you are right now, right? We're dropping the bar. That's an act of kindness. That's an act of self-esteem when you just kind of let yourself be, let yourself be, you know, in the moment where you are. So, all right, coming up next is question of the night. So still some time to weigh in on that. That's on our Loveline IG page in the stories. And uh, Loveline is podcasted over at We Are Channel Q. You can get past episodes. Um, listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. And we'll be back in two minutes because that's our two-minute promise. All right, we're back. Now it's time for some question of the night. Halloween's coming up. Today's the first day of October. How do you feel about celebrating during the pandemic? I know these are the things I was worried about for people, that if uh, all wasn't well by the end of the year, all the holidays, they really cluster quickly at the end of the year for many people. It's amazing, right? How many there are. It's like bam, bam, bam each month. And uh, as I said before, things are gonna be different this year. Let that sink in now. It's gonna be different. Doesn't mean worse, doesn't mean bad. It's gonna be different. And we're gonna miss out on some things and that will be okay. There's so many more to come. It's okay if you don't have your birthday party. It's okay, it's okay. It's okay if you can't get married this year. It's gonna be okay. It's okay if you can't celebrate your anniversary in the big way you want it. It's gonna be okay. It's gonna be okay. These are psychological constructs. These aren't real. These are made up things. It's gonna be okay. You can celebrate them symbolically next year or when this opens up. It's all gonna be okay. Let it sink in. You know what I mean? Like, we're in a pandemic. It's okay if we don't have Halloween, but start preparing. How can I spend the holidays that are coming up that are meaningful for me in a different way? Especially if you're a parent, you're setting the tone and you don't want to crush your children's or loved ones, you know, experience of the fall or the holidays 
because you're not able to kind of get a little creative and diverse. And some of us are going to be spending it alone and, and that, and that's gotta be okay as well. And make a plan, have, have, decide what you're going to do now for these upcoming holidays. Are you going to find a safe friend to spend time with? You're going to spend time alone, binge watching movies, eating good foods, go get the ingredients now, get some recipes together, plan some activities, you know, check in on who might be safe, have them start quarantining into a pod. People are creating pods where it's people they trust that everyone's being safe. Maybe you're gonna have someone come visit, check out the local uh, COVID testing place. So when they arrive, they can get tested. If look up all the necessary stuff now, so you kind of know what the holidays could look like and what's possible. Don't, don't wait too long. I mean, that's my kind of concern is it's going to sneak up on people and it's going to be coming at a time when maybe people already burn out and really lonely. So if we build in this expectation, that's going to be different. It can still be fun. If we start Googling and planning a different way to spend that time and we're prepared, it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be abrupt, you know, but we're all in this together and this is just kind of where we're at. And I don't know when this is winding down. So we got to do the best. We got to hang in there. We got to just kind of figure this out. So you know, don't panic. But the way we don't panic or have anxiety is again, we prepare, we plan, we take action. We know what's coming. We have, we have contingency plans, plan B's. So get that ready. Unless you're one of the people that doesn't care. Great. Congrats. That's awesome. I love that. But some people have family members, children, or for them, these things are meaningful. And so have a little bit of an idea as to how you want it to go, right? That's what I'm doing. So the question is, Halloween's coming up. Today's the first day of October. How do you feel about celebrating during the pandemic? First person said, nope. And Halloween is technically one of the safest. People are already wearing masks, correct. However, it's people congregating. When you go to someone's door, if we're talking about trick-or-treating, how many people are coming to that person's home as they're passing candy back and forth? We're just trying to remove people from grouping. Um, different different ideas on this though. Uh, so again, question is, how do you feel about celebrating during the pandemic? Someone else said, nope, we already had the whole year taken from us. We're tired and we need an outlet. I appreciate that. But again, we want to be smart and safe with that outlet. If the outlet sets us back or someone dies, people are still dying and having long-term outcomes. Well then, was it worth it? Laying in the hospital or having someone pass, are you going to say, thank God we dressed up like you know clowns and got some candy, some cheap Snickers bars? I, I really doubt that. Remember, it's a holiday. Remember, Halloween's a made-up holiday. Remember, Halloween's a made-up day where we put on cuckoo costumes and try to go get free candy. Like That, I don't believe, is worth preserving at all costs. I don't think that's the hill to die on. I don't think that that's the battle to fight and to risk losing lives for Halloween. I, I just don't. So again, the question is, how do you feel about celebrating during the holiday? Someone else said, no, let's dress up. And the kids are outside trick-or-treating. And if that wasn't safe, then outside dining shouldn't be allowed either. I don't think outside dining's safe either. I think we're doing it for capitalism so people can stay in business. I don't think it's safe. Again, anytime you're interacting with other people, you run a risk. And people are congregating and eating at the table without a mask. Do you trust everyone sitting there next to you and in front of you? They are not six feet apart, the people you're with. Do you trust them? Are they following rules and guidelines? Have they been tested? Everyone has a different level of what makes them feel safe, but I'm taking this seriously. I've had people die. It's no joke. I've had friends really struggling at home um, that are infected. Someone else said, yes, stay in, watch some movies, get popcorn and stay safe. Yeah, exactly. I'm My you know, my butt's not going to be out there trick-or-treating anyway. Like I wasn't going to be doing much anyway. I know that some people have families and children. It's a big deal. We can still do something fun at home. There's so many things we can still do. Someone else said the whole year's canceled. So why don't we just wait till next year to celebrate? I mean, that's the thing I'm saying. Like you really get to decide what you do about this, but like it just has to have enough meaning for you. And we have some more culturally important, bigger holidays coming up right after. 
So this is a little bit of a preparation for that. How do you as a family or as an individual want to handle that? My heart goes out to y'all. Like this is unprecedented in a lot of ways. And so we don't necessarily have history to look back on to understand how to pull this off. I mean, we've been through pandemics before and plagues, but oof, things have changed. Technology, we can FaceTime everyone. We can get on a big Zoom event and hang out. I mean, it's not ideal. Trust me, I know that. Like I've said a zillion times, I'm in a long distance relationship. I understand the, what it means to make things work. And I understand how sometimes it lets you down and doesn't feel like it's enough. But this is where we are. And please let's not put a holiday before people's lives. I don't think we'd look back knowing we were a part of that or we, we did that harm and think that it was worth it. I just don't, you know. But uh, we'll be here for you. We're going to figure out some stuff. <laughs> I'm telling you, last year I was on air on Halloween. So that was that's what I was doing, spending Halloween on the radio. So tough times, man. I want that vaccine to get out there soon. And uh, it's going to be a minute, though, because it's got to go to the frontline workers first and then slowly becomes accessible to others. And like I said earlier, we're going to still battle the anti-vaxxers. So I don't know, guys. We got a lot ahead. We got to pull together and be a good collective community and make things happen. Um, all right. Coming up next, we're going to be sliding into those DMs. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back, and now it's time to slide into our DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Sliding the DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sex world, and we want you to explore with confidence. All right, here we go. Hey, Dr. Chris, thank you for taking our questions. I just kind of feel like I need someone else's help on this. My parents are both gone. I just lost my mother to COVID. See, this is what I'm saying about Halloween. But this person would rather have their, their mom than Halloween. Just lost my mother to COVID, and my dad has been gone for a while. I'm okay, but my brothers are not. They're being so greedy, and I can't deal with it anymore. My parents left us a few assets, and they left me in charge of them because I'm the oldest, and I'm always fair. But after struggling with my brothers and their greed, I'm done with them. But I feel bad for being done with them because they're family. But they have insulted me, my parents, and what they left behind, all because of money. Is it bad of me to wipe my hands with them? I just can't believe how mean they become. You know, I would say that possibly your mom's death is in there as well. That's a trauma. That's a that's a severe disruption that can destabilize people, right? So it doesn't always make people feel maybe grounded and secure. Losing a parent or all parents for a lot of people is a really powerful moment where they feel alone. And I don't know if your brothers are single or have families of their own, but that that adds to whether or not they feel like they're a part of something or they no longer feel like they are. I know when my father died, we realized how much he was the glue that held us all together and his loss made us all feel a little more lonely and on our own. That's very destabilizing, right? And with both parents gone, wow. And if they have families of their own, awesome. But otherwise, if they don't have um, you know, core immediate family, they're on their own. So that's in there. Also, I don't know their financial needs. Maybe they're broke and they're desperate for money. Maybe you're better off. And so it's hard for them to imagine in the desperation that they're at financially to engage in distributing resources or assets in a fair way. I always, I don't like the idea of fair because everyone has different needs and we need to accommodate and meet people where they're at. And we can't just say, oh, this is what everyone's getting. This is what everyone needs. And that's what frustrates me with everything, school, treatment, um, job requirements. Everyone has a different need. Everyone's coming from a different place. We can't have the same expectation on everyone. We can't. It's called psychology. They're different for everyone. And so if someone has more financial need, maybe they should get more of the assets. And someone who's more financially stable gets a smaller percentage. I don't do fair as fair. I'm all about reality, honesty, and truth. What does everyone need? And you're in control. And so unfortunately, it falls on you to decide who needs what. And I'm sorry they're being mean. I, I agree with what you're saying, all this over money. I don't want you to also be a part of that, though. You're thinking about giving up on them and losing them because of money. So you do understand what it's like to have loss because of money. Be better than that. 
you know, what's left of that original family unit was, is your brother's. And I don't know that money is enough for you to lose them. So that might mean you being willing to give them more assets so you can still have them. Again, mental health isn't about fair is fair. It's about what do people need and what are my goals? And your goal should be connectivity, intimacy, authenticity, compassion. So it might not just be everyone gets the same percentage and it falls on you to distribute it differently. But I agree with your statement, all this over money, it's not worth it. And I say that to you as well. It's not worth it to lose people over money. It can bring out the bad parts of people, but don't blame them, blame capitalism. Capitalism makes it hard for us to get our needs met. Capitalism makes it desperate, us desperate for money. Capitalism means we all don't have a fair stake or fair share. Capitalism, capitalism means we're all, uh, we're all um, uh, against each other. We're all competing, right? And so that sets us up to panic. If we lived in a different kind of culture that was more balanced and everyone had their needs met, money wouldn't mean as much. It wouldn't be such a battle. There wouldn't be a fight. And so, you know, but make your, make, make connection and the love mean more and you have to be better than them. That's what you're being called upon right now to be better than their bad behavior. Good luck with that. Slide in the DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sex world. We want you to explore the confidence. That's our show, y'all. So this weekend, please take care of yourself. Self-care joy and pleasure and rest. Don't work this weekend. Turn your phones off, flip them upside down, take time to yourselves, do what feels good, but please, please, please do it while wearing a mask at home, socially distanced, and also register to vote. Send the link to those around you, making sure they've registered to vote as well. It takes minutes. And for those that think they're already registered, unfortunately, you have to check because I had to re-register. That's a mess. Uh, check out Loveline, though. It's podcasted on We Are Channel Q and my show, I'm Listening Live, which is on all the radio.com handles. You guys have an awesome weekend. I'll be back on Monday, 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. Eastern. Oh, God. Thanks for hanging out. And y'all, be well.